Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are continuing on in our sermon series called The Bible Doesn't Say That. And throughout this series, we are exploring different statements that people commonly believe are found in the Bible that really aren't. And we're exploring these statements because each one of these statements can distort our understanding of who God really is and who we really are. So in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the statement that God helps those who help themselves. And this is a statement that was made famous by Benjamin Franklin in his Poor Richard's Almanac. But up to 52% of Christians believe that you can actually find this statement in the Bible. But that just isn't true. So let's get right into this episode's sermon and talk about how this statement can distort our understanding of who God is and who we are. So as we get started this morning, I want to play a little game with you. And here's how this game is going to work. In just a minute, we're going to put some pictures up on the screen. And you're going to see an A picture and a B picture. And I want you to tell me which one of these pictures is the correct one. So if you're worshiping with us in person today, what I'm going to do is ask you to show your hands if you think A or if you think B is correct. If you're worshiping with us online today, you can just type in your response in the comments thread on our Facebook page. So with all of that out of the way, let's get started and put the first couple of pictures up on the screen. All right, I'll step out of the way so that you can see it. So in this picture, we have two different versions of the Oscar Meyer logo. And what I want you to pay attention to is the spelling of the name Meyer. Okay? So in the first picture, in letter A, we've got Meyer spelled M-E-Y-E-R. The second image, we've got it spelled M-A-Y-E-R. So how many of you think that letter A is correct? All right? How many of you think that letter B is correct? All right, for those of you that guessed me, you remember the old jingle that says your baloney has a second name, and it's spelled M-A-Y-E-R. So B is the correct answer with that one. All right, David, let's go ahead and we'll do another one. We'll put the second image up on the screen. This time we've got the logo for Looney Tunes. And again, I want you to pay attention to the way that Tunes is spelled. The letter A is spelled T-O-O-N-S, like the end of the word, Cartoons. And letter B, it's spelled T-U-N-E-S, like in a song. So how many of you think that letter A is correct, that it's spelled T-O-O-N-S? And how many of you think it's B? Well, this time it is letter B, because what you have to remember here is that Looney Tunes was actually created by Warner Brothers to be their alternative to the merry melodies that Disney was producing at the time. So this one is B. All right, we've got one more picture that we're going to get ready. We're going to put it up on the screen for you to see right now. This time we are looking at one of my personal favorite candies, Kit Kat bars. And if you look in between the words Kit Kat, in letter A, there's a hyphen. In letter B, there is no hyphen. So how many of you think that the word Kit Kat is hyphenated in letter A? How many of you think that there is no hyphen in it, like in letter B? Well, the correct answer this time is letter B. There is no hyphen in the name Kit Kat. All right, so how did you do on my little game this morning? How many of you got all three right? All right, anybody willing to admit that you missed every single one of them? All right, well, and actually, if you missed every single one of them, you're not in bad company because there are a lot of people who have a false memory when it comes to these logos. There are a lot of people who believe that every one of those wrong images we put up on the screen are 
And this phenomenon is actually so common where people have these false memories of, of what's true and what isn't that we even have a name for it. We call it the Mandela Effect. And the Mandela Effect happens whenever a large group of people has a false memory about something. So sometimes the Mandela Effect happens when it comes to things like corporate logos, like we just saw in the pictures that I showed you on the screen. Sometimes we have these false memories when it comes to, like, famous lines from movies. Like in the movie Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, do you realize that the evil queen doesn't say, mirror, mirror, on the wall? The evil queen says, magic, mirror, on the wall. Or in the Star Wars film franchise, one of the most memorable lines from it, when Darth Vader says, I am your father, he doesn't actually say Luke's name right before he says that. And we even have these false memories when it comes to things like the Bible. According to a survey that was conducted by the Barna Research Group, they found that 52% of Christians believe that the statement, God helps those who help themselves, is in the Bible. Well, just so you know, that statement was made famous by Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin didn't write any of the books in our Bible, okay? Now, in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter that much if you know the proper spelling for the name Oscar Mayer, because the last time I checked, you can still go to the grocery store and pick up a package of bologna without having to pass a spelling test. And it doesn't matter if you can recite every line from the Star Wars film franchise, they'll still let you into a movie theater where you can be transported to a galaxy far, far away, even if you don't know all those lines. But that's not always the case. Sometimes these false memories that we have actually can be dangerous. And I think that's especially true when it comes from the false memories we have about the Bible. And that's because when we think that the Bible says things the Bible doesn't actually say, we can distort our understanding of who God is, and we can distort our understanding of who we are. So, to put it another way for you, sometimes the things we don't know about the Bible can't hurt us. Sometimes the things we don't know about the Bible can hurt us. So, last week here at Melbourne Heights, we started into a new series of sermons that we're calling The Bible Doesn't Say That, where we're exploring some of these sayings that people commonly believe to be found in the Bible that aren't actually there. We spent our time together last week talking about the saying that everything happens for a reason. And we saw during that sermon that if we believe that everything happens for a reason, then we distort our understanding of who God is. And ultimately, God becomes a monster who is responsible for every act of abuse or violence or every murder that takes place or every war that happens. And we also saw that it distorts our understanding of who we are. Because if we believe that everything happens for a reason, then we believe that we are little more than robots who have no real say in what we say and what we do. Well, this week we're going to continue on talking about another statement that people commonly believe is found in the Bible that isn't actually there. And it's the one I mentioned just a minute ago. It's the statement, God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. Now, when you first hear this phrase, it really doesn't sound that bad, does it? I mean, this idea, this, this idea that God helps those who help themselves, we can actually even find passages in the Bible that seem to convey this kind of message for us. We find one of these passages in the book of 2 Thessalonians. And the book of 2 Thessalonians isn't actually a book, it's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul was the foremost missionary and theologian of the first century. 
And he writes this letter to help the, the members of a church in a small town, the ancient city of Thessalonica, deal with a problem that they were experiencing. And Paul had actually inadvertently caused this problem in the church in Thessalonica. Because when he was first in that city and he was first planning the church and people were first coming to faith in Jesus, Paul told them that Jesus could return at any time. And that's absolutely true. Jesus can return at any time. But there were people in the church in Thessalonica who misunderstood what Paul was telling them. And they thought what Paul wanted them to do in order to show that they truly believed and were faithful to Jesus, that they should quit their jobs and just basically hang around all the time and wait for Jesus to return. That's not what Paul was saying at all. So when Paul gets wind of what's happening there, he decides to nip this problem in the bud as quickly as he possibly can. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul addresses this problem. And this is what Paul tells them, starting in verse 10. Paul says, even when we were with you, we were giving you this command. If anyone doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. We hear that some of you are living an undisciplined life. They aren't working, but they are meddling in other people's business. By the Lord Jesus Christ, we command and encourage such people to work quietly and put their own food on the table. So what Paul wants the folks in Thessalonica to understand is that it's not enough for them to just pray and then expect God to take care of everything else. If they want to eat, then they have to put forth some work. So this actually reminds me of a story that countless preachers have told over the years. And as this story begins, there is a massive storm front that is getting ready to hit a small town. And as the storm front hits this small town, soon the downpour of rain turns into rising flood waters. And when the flood waters start to fall, there's an old preacher in this town who walks out on his front porch, sees the waters rising, he falls down on his knees, and he prays to God, God, protect me from these flood waters. Well, no sooner had that old preacher finished saying amen with his prayer than a big four-wheel drive pickup truck pulls up right in front of his house. The couple inside of the pickup truck call out to the man, come on down, get in our truck, we'll take you to safety. But the old preacher refused, saying, God will protect me. Well, the floodwaters keep rising, and soon this old preacher has to go up to the second floor of his house to stay dry. And as he is on the second floor of his house, he once again falls down on his knees in prayer. And he says, God, protect me from this flood. Well, no sooner had he finished this prayer than someone came paddling by the second floor windows of his house in their canoe. And they saw the old preacher inside, and they called out to him, Come, climb into our boat. We'll paddle you out. We'll get you to safety. Once again, the old preacher refused, saying, God will protect me. The floodwaters kept rising. Soon the only dry place left in this old preacher's house was his roof. So he climbed up on the roof, and as he sat on the roof, he called out to God in prayer once again, praying, God, protect me from this flood. No sooner had he finished this prayer than a helicopter goes flying by. And when the helicopter pilot sees this old preacher sitting on the roof, they drop down a rope ladder. They get on their bullhorn, call out to him, climb up the ladder, we'll carry you to safety. This is going to be your last chance. Once again, the old preacher refuses, saying, God will protect me. Well, not too long after that helicopter flew off, that old preacher found himself standing at the pearly gates. And when he saw God, he called out to God and he said, God, I've got a bone to pick with you. 
I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I asked you to protect me from the flood water. But here I am on this side of eternity with you. Which God looked at the old preacher and he said, I said, a pickup truck, a canoe, and a helicopter. What else did you want me to do? Now, like I said, that's an old story that you may have heard told before. And it's kind of funny, but that story does convey that message that that God helps those who help themselves. I mean, inside of that story, God sent that old preacher anything he could possibly need to have escaped the flood waters. But that old preacher wasn't willing to do anything to help himself. But here's the thing. No matter how many funny stories I can tell you that can convey the message that God helps those who help themselves, it doesn't change the fact that this statement is not in the Bible at all. So when we believe that God helps those who help themselves, we distort our understanding of who God is and who we are. Let me show you what I mean. And we'll start by tackling the first part, where we distort our understanding of who God is when we believe that God only helps those who help themselves. And help you understand what I'm talking about here, we're going to be taking a closer look at one of the miracles that Jesus performs. And we find the account of this miracle in the Gospel of John, or in John's biography of Jesus, in John chapter 5. So let's take a look at John chapter 5 together. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Here's what John writes. He says, After this there was a Jewish festival, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, in the north city wall, is a pool with the Aramaic name Bethsaida. It had five covered porches and a crowd of people who were sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed sat there. A certain man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, knowing that he had already been there a long time, Jesus asked him, Do you want to get well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I don't have anyone who can put me in the water when it's stirred up. When I'm trying to get to it, someone else has gotten in ahead of me. So as this man that the book of John tells us simply describes as a sick man is speaking with Jesus, it seems pretty clear that this man believes that God helps those who help themselves. I mean, that's why this guy is at the pool of Bethsaida. And he's at the pool of Bethsaida because people believe that the, when the waters of this particular pool were stirred up, that they were stirred up by God himself. And people believe that the very first person who got into this pool after those waters had been stirred up would be miraculously healed of whatever it is that ailed them. Now, the Gospel of John doesn't specifically tell us how long this particular man had been coming to the pool of Bethsaida hoping to be healed. But what John does is he alludes to the fact that this man has been coming to the pool for as long as he has been sick. And John tells us that he has been sick for 38 years. That's a long time. So for 38 years, this man has been trying to help himself. So how do you think Jesus is going to respond to what this sick man tells him? How do you think Jesus is going to respond when this man says, Listen, I've been trying to get better. I've been trying to help myself. But every time I go to get into the pool of water, somebody else beats me to it. Because here's the thing. If 
the statement that God helps those who help themselves is true, this is the perfect time for Jesus to say it. This is the perfect time for Jesus to look at that man and say, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. So just keep doing what you've been doing. Keep showing up at the pool of Bethsaida. Keep waiting for the waters to stir. Keep trying to be the first one into the pool. And eventually, you'll get the miracle that you're hoping for. That is not what Jesus says to this man at all. So let's turn back to John chapter 5 and see what Jesus actually says to this sick man. We'll pick back up in verse 8. Here's what it says. Because Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Immediately the man was well, and he picked up his mat, and he walked. For 38 years, this man had been sick. For 38 years, this man had been trying to help himself. But in this one encounter with Jesus, in one moment, Jesus clearly shows this man that God doesn't just help those who help themselves. In this one encounter with Jesus, in this one moment, Jesus shows this man that God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. Every day for 38 years, this man has been waiting for the waters in that pool to stir. Every day for 38 years, this man has tried to be the first one into the waters. But no matter how hard he tried, nothing he did worked. So what this man needed, what this man needed was for someone to come along who could help him do something that he could not do on his own. That's what Jesus does. Jesus shows up and he heals this man, helping this man, even though this man cannot help himself. And this is just one example that I can give you of Jesus helping someone who cannot help themselves. Jesus helps someone who cannot help themselves when he feeds the multitudes with just a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. Jesus helps those who cannot help themselves when he calms the stormy seas when the disciples are caught out in the middle of that storm on the sea. Jesus helps those who cannot help themselves when he forgives a woman who is caught in the, the act of adultery. Jesus helps those who cannot help themselves when he raises Lazarus up out of the grave. Jesus helps those who cannot help themselves when he lays down his life on the cross to forgive us our sins. God helps those who cannot help themselves play out so many times, not just in Jesus' life, but throughout the entire Bible that we actually have a term for it. When God helps someone who cannot help themselves, we call it grace. When God helps someone who cannot help themselves, we call it grace. So when we believe that God only helps those who help themselves, distort our understanding of who God is. Because our God is a God of grace. Our God is a God of mercy. Our God is a God who is there to help anyone and everyone. And our God is a God who is especially there to help those who cannot help themselves. But 
absolutely say that God helps those who help themselves. We don't just distort our understanding of who God is. We also distort our understanding of who we are. And that's because the Bible doesn't just make it clear that God helps those who cannot help themselves. The Bible also makes it clear that God wants us to be involved in helping these people who cannot help themselves. Or to put it as simply as I can for it, God wants to use us. God wants to use you. God wants to use me to help those who cannot help themselves. And one of the first times you find this kind of clearly pointed out inside the Bible happens in the book of Leviticus. Now, the book of Leviticus is the third book that we find in the entire Bible. We've got Genesis, Exodus, and then Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus is a book of laws that are given to the people of Israel that they're supposed to live by as they enter into the promised land and they establish the nation of Israel. And in Leviticus chapter 23, God makes it abundantly clear that he wants his people to help those who cannot help themselves. So here's what Leviticus 23 says, starting in verse 22. It says, when you harvest your land's produce, you must not harvest all the way to the edge of your field. And don't gather every remaining bit of your harvest. Leave these items for the poor and the immigrant. I am the Lord, your God. Now this passage in Leviticus, it was written during a far more agrarian time than we live in today. So there were a lot of people in Israel who were farmers when this particular passage was spoken. And farmers, they depend on crops they can harvest for their livelihood. So if the statement that God helps those who help themselves is true, then you would expect that God would tell the people of Israel, when you go out and harvest, pick up every last thing that you possibly can. Don't leave anything on the vines or on the stocks. Don't leave anything out in the fields. Bring it in because you need to take care of yourself. That's not at all what God actually tells the people. God tells them the opposite. Instead of telling them to go out and harvest everything they can, God says, don't harvest all the way to the edge of your fields. Leave the edge of your fields. And I want you to do it for a reason. I want you to not harvest all the way to the edges of the field because I want you to help people who cannot help themselves. Leave the crops along the edge of your field so that those in Israel who are poor will have something to eat, so that the immigrants who come through your land have something they can eat. This is part of who we, as followers of Jesus, are called to be. We are called to be people who help one another. It's part of who we are. So we need to understand that when we say things like, God helps those who help themselves, what we're really doing is we're letting ourselves off the hook. When we say that God helps those who help themselves, we make it everyone's own responsibility to get the help that they need, and then and we absolve ourselves of having any responsibility at all. When we say that God helps those who help themselves, if somebody's not getting the help that we need, that becomes a matter between them and God that has absolutely nothing to do with us. But we've seen throughout our time together today that that couldn't be further from the truth. We've seen during our time together today that God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy who is there to listen to us when we call out to Him. A God who wants to help us. A God who especially wants to help those who cannot help themselves. We've also seen 
sins, especially from the story from the book of Leviticus. But you see, God wants us to know that there will always be people who cannot help themselves, and so we need to help them. There will always be people that cannot help themselves, and God wants us to help them. Clear as that. We need to stop saying that God helps those who help themselves. And we need to pay attention to what the Bible actually reveals to us about who God is and who we are. Because our God is a God who loves us, who gives us grace and mercy. Our God is a God who cares about every single one of us. And our God is a God who especially cares about those who are unable to care for themselves. And our God wants us our God wants to use us to help those who cannot help themselves. So let's stop putting the focus on everyone else. Let's stop saying that God only helps those who help themselves. And let's realize that God calls us to help each other. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we're all challenged by what we've heard. Even though many of us know that the statement that God helps those who help themselves was made famous by Benjamin Franklin and not found in the Bible, God, there are plenty of times that we carry this sentiment with us. There are plenty of times that we look at people who are hurting in this world around them and we say that they need to do something about the situation they find themselves in. We say things like they need to pull themselves up by their bootstrap or they need to seek out the help that they need. But God, in the story that we read of Jesus healing this man who was sick for 38 years, we're reminded that not everyone can help themselves. That there are plenty of people in this world that need someone to step in and help them do things that they could never do on their own. And God, you call us as your people to be those who are willing to step in to help people even when they can't help themselves. So God, my prayer for each of us is that we are challenged by what we attention in this world all around us, and then we find ways to be your hands, to be your feet, and to help those who are in need. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast, and I hope that this episode has reminded you of who our God is. Our God is a God of grace. Our God is a God of mercy. Our God is a God that is there for us. And our God is a God that is especially there for people who cannot help themselves. And God also calls each of us to help those who cannot help themselves as well. So let's do our part. Let's find ways that we can help people who cannot help themselves. Now, in our next episode, we're going to be continuing on in the sermon series where we're going to be exploring another one of those statements that people commonly believe is in the Bible, even though it isn't. Next week, we're going to be talking about the statement, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And we'll see that that's not in the Bible either. So I hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And don't forget that you don't have to wait for next Tuesday to roll around and another episode to drop. You're invited to come and worship with us online every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com. 
slash live. We would love to have you come and join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I will be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.